All right, church, good morning. Great to be with you this morning. And I want to throw in my own happy Father's Day, dads. We love you so much. We're so thankful for all you fathers out there. In fact, I want to bless the dads today with something a little lighthearted here to get us started. Over the years, I've collected some of my favorite Father's Day wishes uh, from greeting cards. And some of these are just absolutely hilarious. So this is my way of saying Happy Father's Day. I bet you never got a card like this, like the one that said, Happy Father's Day, Dad. I hope today is as much fun as your life before children. There you go. It was pretty fun, actually, life before children. Or uh, how about this one? Happy Father's Day, Dad. I love how we don't even need to say out loud that I'm your favorite child. <laughs> I like that one. Isn't that good? Or how about this one? Dad, I wanted to give you your dream gift for Father's Day, but I just can't afford to move out right now. Or how about this one? Happy Father's Day, Dad. I wouldn't trade you for anything, although, to be honest, nobody's made me any offers. <laughs> well, there you go. Happy Father's Day, guys. And I know that uh, for me, one of the greatest privileges, one of the greatest things that's ever happened to me in my life is becoming a father. And so we're so thankful for the dads in our church. But now I want to invite you to grab your Bibles, pull out your Bibles, open to the book of Daniel. We're going back to chapter 3, and I'm very excited today because we come almost certainly to the most famous passage in the book of Daniel. This is the moment where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get thrown into the fiery furnace. And so if you were with us last Sunday when we, when we left these three... They were standing there in front of King Nebuchadnezzar, refusing to bow down to this golden image that he had created. And we talked last Sunday, if you were with us, we talked about what an astounding declaration of faith this moment was. Do you remember these three? They said to Nebuchadnezzar in that moment, our God can deliver us. There's no doubt about it. But even if he doesn't, we're still going to worship him. I love that. We talked about last week how these guys had fully taken into consideration the possibility that God might not deliver them, that that might not be a part of his plan. And yet that did not stop them from living faithfully in Babylon from continuing to be true worshipers. And so what's amazing is that the greatest miracle of Daniel chapter 3 has already happened, this miracle of faith. And yet, there's more that we can learn from this story, and I'm excited to get into it. And what I want to do today is I want to give you kind of the big idea of my sermon. It's a gospel theme that you're going to need. It's going to function like a frame for everything that we're going to read next in Daniel chapter 3. And here's how it goes. Think about this. Sometimes God can accomplish more by bringing us through the furnace than by keeping us from it in the first place. 
Isn't that true, brothers and sisters? Sometimes God can accomplish more in our lives by meeting us there and walking with us through the furnace than by simply pulling us out or keeping us from it in the first place. And so the question we want to ask today is, what is God trying to accomplish in the lives of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Let's find out. Chapter 3, we left off at verse 19. Here's what happened next. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed. Has that ever happened to you? I mean, this guy is so furious because of their rebellion, because of their obstinance. And his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. I love this. It reminds me of villains in movies, like in James Bond movies, when the villain has like a new weapon of mass destruction, and they're like, turn it up to full power. You know, here's, here's Nebuchadnezzar. He's so angry. He's like, fire that furnace up to seven times its normal temperature. And the reader's thinking, okay, the, the normal temperature was melting gold, so I'm pretty sure that that's hot enough. But what's happening here is that Nebuchadnezzar is trying to give expression to the rage in his heart, and he wants to express it through the heat of the furnace. If you remember last week, we talked about the fact that this king never in his life had he encountered someone who he couldn't motivate through the threat of death. And yet here he is, he's, he's confronted with these men who are standing before him and they're, and they're saying to him, we care less about our own lives than we care about honoring the God who created us. I don't know about you, River West, but I hope people would say that about me. Oh, Adam cares more about honoring God than he cares about his own life. People say that about you in your life. This was a cause of great anger for Nebuchadnezzar. He heats up the furnace, and then look what he does next. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army. These are the big guys, okay? Think Gary Gibson. This Think Pastor Mike, all right? These are the inside linebackers from Babylon High. These are not the small guys. These are the big guys. He ordered the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments. It's, the narrator's making kind of a big deal about they're fully clothed. It's like Nebuchadnezzar. He's rushing so fast. He doesn't even strip off their clothing. They're fully clothed, their tunics, their garments, their robes. They're tied up with ropes. He binds them up. And they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. And because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Have you ever had a moment in your life where the absolute worst scenario comes to pass? This is that moment. 
You know the kind of moment I'm talking about where suddenly out of the blue, your entire world just gets turned upside down and suddenly out of nowhere, you find yourself literally in a, in a living hell. That is this moment. And brothers and sisters, can I tell you something? When that happens to you, that is the moment when you need to worship the most. Remember, we talked last Sunday about how this whole chapter is ultimately, it's about worship. And last week, what I did, I actually, I started an idea with you that I did not fully develop. I just kind of threw out a statement. And it was kind of a big statement and maybe even wondered, I wonder if if pastor's gonna say more about that statement. Here's what I said. I said, we don't worship God for the perks. We don't worship God for the benefits. We don't worship God for what we'll get out of the, as if it's some kind of a transaction. We don't worship God to get something we want. We worship God because he's worthy. We worship God because we want to learn about him. We want to learn his will. Have you ever heard somebody say, I tried the Jesus thing. I I tried the Jesus thing and and it didn't work out for me. You know what they mean by that? Think about what that statement means. It means I wanted something. And so I tried Jesus to see if I would get what I would want. But it didn't work. If your goal is comfort and ease in this life, if your goal in terms of spirituality is to get what you're after, if it's to get what you want, you will eventually deny God. Because eventually, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how mighty you are. It doesn't matter how, what position you hold. Eventually, you're going to find yourself in a furnace. And if your worship is about a transaction, if it's about getting what you want, if it's about the perks of the benefits, eventually you will deny God. Because eventually, brothers and sisters, we'll all end up in the furnace. I've tried in my life in the last few days, I've tried to be honest with people when they ask me the question, Adam, how are you doing? Okay, I've tried to be honest because the reality is these have been really, really complicated couple months. It's been crazy. It's been hard. I don't know about you, but I am not going to be sad when COVID-19 is in my rearview mirror, all right? Is that an understatement? That sounds like an understatement. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to miss COVID-19. Isn't it funny? I was thinking about the fact that how many people said, I cannot wait for 2019 to be over. What a year. And think about what we've had so far in 2020. I bet people are saying, I wish we could go back to 2019. And I'm trying to be honest with people. I sat with the lead team this week and I just was sort of raw with them and said, you know, folks, I feel like I'm, I'm in a furnace right now. And I, and I know, my, my head tells me God's here and I'm worshiping God and I believe God is doing great things in my life, even if my heart hasn't fully caught up, all right? We don't worship God for the perks. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego remained faithful to God in the face of pressure from Nebuchadnezzar. They stood firm. They refused to bend the knee to a false God. And yet, here they are, they find themselves burning in a fiery furnace. Let me talk for just a minute about fire real quick. We're not, if we don't understand fire in the Bible, we're not going to understand the story. In the Bible, fire is associated with one of two things, okay? Judgment 
and refinement. Every time, judgment all over the Bible, fire is the metaphor that you, when God finally judges the world for sin and wickedness, it will be like fire. He will cast down fire. It's all over the prophets. The book of Revelation ends with Satan and the false prophet being thrown into a lake of fire. Jesus used the metaphor of fire when he talked about hell. You know, as much as we don't want to admit it, Jesus talked more about hell than any other contributor to the Bible. So for example, here's one of the more famous places, Matthew 13, 41 and 42. Jesus said, it was a parable, he was explaining a parable, and he said, the Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. He's quoting directly Daniel chapter 3 to describe hell. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Folks, fire, the fire of hell is a reality. And the reason Jesus talked about it is not because he was horrible or intense or judgmental. It's because he loves people. He loves people and he wanted to warn them, this is a real thing, the judgment of fire. But also, fire in the Bible is associated with refinement, to purify things. We know this, it's all over the Bible. Malachi talks about a refiner's fire. Peter wrote in his letter, he said, In this you rejoice, though for now, for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter says, sometimes fire burns in judgment, but also fire can be used to purify. It can, it can be used to reveal the tested genuineness of things that are important, like, like our faith. And so, yes, fire destroys, but it also tests and reveals the true nature of something, such as our ministry or our faith. And you want to keep that in mind now, because what's happening is that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego find themselves falling. Literally, when we left them, here they are. They've been thrown. They're falling, fully clothed, tied up with Babylonian ropes, falling into fire, a burning, fiery furnace. And here's what happened next. Then Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, verse 24. And he rose up in haste, and he declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, true, O king. And he answered and said to them, but I see four men. So he's counting, and he, and he pulls his counselors over. One, two, three, four. Wait, let me count again. What are you guys counting, right? I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. And the Christian says, you're close, Nebuchadnezzar. Just drop that S at the end. <laughs> you're close, <laughs> right? You remember back in verse 15 when Nebuchadnezzar, he threw out what he thought was a rhetorical challenge? If you look at your Bible, Remember, he said to them, who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? And now, to his 
utter astonishment, he discovers that there is a God in the heavens who can do precisely that. But not only is he astonished, he's coming to the horrified realization that that God has chosen sides. He has identified himself with the men in the furnace. And friends, think about this. This is the very first explicit reference to the divine presence in Daniel. And when does he show up? It happens as his people find themselves in a trial, in a furnace. A divine being meets them there, not before. It's when they find themselves in the most horrific situation, a place of pain, a place of suffering. That's the moment when the divine shows up and they encounter him. Sometimes God can accomplish more by walking with us through the furnace than by preventing us from going there in the first place. Did you notice that word walking? It's, it, it, it happens so quickly, we, we read right over it. He says, I see four men unbound, and what are they doing? They're walking around in the midst of the fire. They're walking. That is, that's a hyperlink. It's, the reader would go, wait a minute, that sounds like Genesis chapter 3, when God would walk with Adam and Eve in the garden. And here are God's people in a, in a place of suffering, and, and the divine shows up to walk with them through it. So beautiful. Have you ever had someone show up in your moments to, in your moment of greatest pain and just walk with you in it? Just walk with you, just be with you in that moment. There may not be anything more beautiful, more powerful, more profound, more biblical, more gospel than showing up in someone's life in their moment of greatest pain, just to walk with them. Think, think Job's friends right before they open their mouths and start talking. But, but before that, they had gotten it right. They showed up and they, and they saw their friend and they just sat with him for hours and they just were with him in his pain. This past week, Kathy and Bridget and I had some incredibly powerful experiences. We, we went downtown to some of these prayer vigils that happened in our city. Many of you were there. I've, I saw River Westers there. Most of the nights we were there. It was so beautiful. This was, this was Christians from around the city gathering at different locations of pain for our, our black and brown brothers and sisters in our city. And it was really beautiful to see the church show up into a place that's historically been a place of pain for people of color. And they were very strategic. They, they chose specific places where, 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 where gentrification has happened, places where, uh, where displacement had happened, where, where the black community was, was forced out whole housing developments, neighborhoods where the city came in and, 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 and devalued their properties, gave them far less than they were worth because they wanted to develop. 
places where sins and crimes had been committed against our black brothers and sisters. The night that was the most powerful for us was the night where we went to a place where there used to be a restaurant called the Burger Barn. Some of you, if you live in Oregon, you remember this story. In 1981, on-duty police officers drove past the Burger Barn, which was a restaurant that was owned by an African-American family for many decades. And as they drove by, they threw four dead possums at the front door of the restaurant, which was a direct cue. It was like, this is like the Ku Klux Klan behavior. And this, this action sent shockwaves to the black community. People were frightened. People protested. And what was so powerful was it's, it's one thing to hear that story or even to read that story. But what happened on, on Monday night as we were there was we heard that story told by a woman of color. She's a faith leader in our community, and she was in high school when this happened. And as she told that story, I felt the pain of that story like I could have never felt any other way but by having it told by her. She talked about how by the time she left Jefferson High School, the entire community knew what had happened. She described how the elderly black community, they they were hiding in their homes because they were frightened that the Ku Klux Klan was coming. This was a horrible moment of pain. And it was so beautiful for for the church to show up and be with our brothers and sisters in this place. And it was a reminder to me, you know, the the, the injustice and the hurt that we're seeing right now, this is not just a right now moment. This This is their history. The people of color in our community have been fighting this and feeling this pain for decades and decades and decades. And they've been longing for the rest of the church to show up and walk with them through it and fight for justice. And brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. When you show up, in someone else's pain to walk with them, the thing that you need to realize is Jesus is already there. You are simply showing up where Jesus is to listen, to learn, to love, to say, I care about this. So powerful. Last Sunday, Kathy, um, she turned to me after the sermon last Sunday and she said, Adam, where was Daniel in this moment? Where was Daniel? Have you thought that? Daniel's nowhere to be found. And people have wondered, what happened? Did Daniel call in sick this day? He, did, he, did he check the calendar? Oh, wait, this is the day where Nebuchadnezzar is going to force everyone to worship an idol. <laughs> I'm not feeling that great. Was Daniel sheltering in place? We don't know. Here's, here's what I think is going on here, all right? I think what the narrator has done here is the narrator is saying, I don't want the reader to focus on the individual throughout this whole book because this story is not about individual Christianity or individual faith. And so by shifting now from Daniel so that we don't worship an individual, and now we're focused on a community of believers who find themselves in it tough spot. The narrator is saying, this is a picture of community. The people of God 
can find themselves in a fiery trial. Not just individuals. You say, yeah, but I I feel like I'm in a trial. Absolutely, many people do. But what the narrator is doing is, he's saying this is a picture of, of a community of believers who together find themselves in a fiery trial. And let me tell you something, church. We're there. This is live. This is real. This is right now. A week and a half ago, I sat in a circle with, with lead pastors, senior pastors from all over our city, from all of the churches that we've partnered with over the years in our justice initiatives. Every, every major church you can think of, the pastors were in the room. And what started out as a meeting where we had come to brainstorm how to, how to reopen our churches, it quickly turned into almost like a pastor support group <laughs> because these, these guys, myself included, we just started to be honest with each other and say, this is brutal. This, the last month with all of the racial tension, all of the division, the COVID thing, it was like a pastor's COVID support group as guys just poured out their hearts. One guy said, in my 35 years of ministry, I had the worst week of ministry I've ever had. And guy after guy after guy just sharing, amazing. We're in a trial. The church is going through something. It's real. But can I tell you something? Sometimes God does his greatest work by walking with his people through their furnace. See, God did not admit it. He didn't immediately deliver them. He walked with them. He showed up and he walked with his people. He could have extinguished the fire. John Calvin, in his commentary, he said this, God could have extinguished the fire in an instant, but he didn't. You know what God did? He actually allowed that fire to burn as hot and as bright as it possibly could because of the optics so that as many people would witness what he was about to do. Amazing. And you got to believe this incident, this thing was talked about for years and years. Think of the opportunities that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to testify to what God had done. Okay, so we have to ask and answer a question. You've been wondering this question, who is the fourth man in the furnace. I know you've wondered that. Who is the, the fourth man in the furnace? And what I want to tell you is that commentators have spilled a lot of ink on this question, all right? Nebuchadnezzar, of course, says he looks like a son of the gods. And then later in verse 28, he's going to call, he's going to call this fourth man an angel. But here's the thing. An angel is not going to cut it. And we shouldn't let a pagan king tell us the identity of this fourth man. I think, although I cannot prove this to you definitively, I have become basically 100% convinced that this is Christ. This is, this is a vision of an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ. It's what, it's what theologians call a Christophany, a Christ vision before the incarnation happens. And they're all over the Bible. In fact, there's, if you read the Old Testament, there's this mysterious character who will show up again and again and again that the Bible calls the, me- the messenger of Yahweh, the angel of the Lord. 
And that, that, that angel, that messenger, when he shows up, what's perplexing is that he'll show up to Abraham. He'll show up to Hagar. He'll show up to Jacob. And he'll, and he'll speak of himself. And he'll, in, in one moment, he'll say, I am Yahweh. But then in the very next sentence, he'll distinguish himself from Yahweh. And so he'll create this paradox. And the, and the New Testament readers seeing that and going, this is Christ. This is Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate, showing up a Christophany so his people can have a foretaste of what is to come. And right here in this moment is Christ walking with his people in their greatest trial. And one of the reasons I know this, one of the reasons I'm going to say this with confidence to our church, I'll stand before God and say, I'm confident this is Christ, is because of the context. We look back with it. This story is about the people of God in a burning, fiery furnace. And that fire will either bring about that first biblical purpose, the burning of judgment, or it will bring about that second biblical purpose, the burning of refinement. And the difference, listen to this, folks, the difference boils down to this. Are you walking with Jesus in that moment? These men were spared from the fire. Why? Because they were walking with the fourth man. But Nebuchadnezzar's mighty men, they were burned up before they even entered the furnace. Amazing. Amazing. If you're walking with Christ, if you're walking with that fourth man, that fire, that, that fiery furnace that you're in, it will not have the first biblical effect. It will have the second biblical effect. It will bring about refinement in your life. But if you're not walking with that fourth man in the furnace, if you're rejecting him and, and denying him and avoiding him, then the reverse is true. The fire, the ultimate burning fire will not bring about the purpose of refinement. It will bring about that other biblical purpose. And we know that the narrator is driving this point home because of what he does next. Will you look at it with me? The story continues Verse 26, then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace. And he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. This is amazing. He's still bossing people around after everything he's seen. He cannot help but boss people around. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors, do you remember that list? All those officials who earlier on in the chapter had fallen on their knees at the sound of the music and they worshiped Nebuchadnezzar's idol. Now, in a twist of irony, this is the group who are there to witness the true and living God do something miraculous. Amazing. So the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the king's counselors, they gathered together, and look at this. They saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their clothes were not harmed. And no smell of fire had come upon them. They didn't even smell like a campfire, all right? 
They didn't smell like fire. Their hair was not singed. I'll share with you kind of a light story from my life. I should be light right now because I'm about to get really intense. Okay, but I'll start with light. Before Kathy and I were dating, I flew down to California to visit her. I've told this story before. It was one of the most romantic weekends of my entire life. But we weren't dating yet, and, but she had called me. She was a little lonely, so I got on an airplane, and I flew to California to visit her. And I'll never forget, she, she showed up at the airport, and right when I got off the plane, she looked at me right in the eyes, and she said, Adam, I have to tell you something. I want you to know, I am not looking for a relationship, all right? <laughs> And I was like, oh, hi, I'm glad to see you as well, all right? She said, I want you to know, I am not looking for a relationship. Now, the thing you got to realize is I did not take that as a threat. I took that as a challenge, all right? I thought to myself, okay, it is on. This is going to be the most romantic weekend I can possibly curate, all right? And I switched into A-game. I'm planning slow dancing to Billy Joel. I was going to cook her dinner. So on night one, I went to the grocery store, and I bought a bunch of groceries. I bought some vegetables and rice and chicken, and we went back to this house where she was staying and I cooked dinner and I, I had the chicken and I walked outside and they had a gas barbecue in their backyard. And as I'm walking out, Kathy says to me, hey, Adam, have you ever used a gas barbecue before? To which I replied, yes, I have. And I, I walked out and I, I, I had never used a gas barbecue before. All right. But so I, I went out there and this was one of those ones where you have to turn on the gas first. And then there's a little red button that you push. And that little red button is supposed to send a flame into the barbecue. So I, I, I turn on the gas and I can hear this sound. It's, it sounds like a low whistle. And so the, the barbecue's filling with gas, and I start pushing this red button. Nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. Finally, what seemed like about a minute later, I finally get that first click, and Kathy said that from the kitchen, it sounded like I had set off an M80, all right? Just the loudest explosion. I come walking back into the house, and let me tell you something. My hair was singed. All of the hair on my arms were gone, and I smelled like a campfire, all right? And that's this moment, except these guys have been in a furnace. They don't smell. The hair is not singed. Their clothing is not burned. I love that phrase. Did you see that phrase? It says, the fire had no power over them. It had no power over them. The prophet Isaiah predicted this. He wrote Isaiah 43, verses 2 and 3. He said, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am Yahweh, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Isaiah predicted this. He said, if you're walking, if you are walking in close proximity with the Savior, it does not matter what furnace you find yourself in, even the ultimate one, the final one, the fires, they will not, 
They will not burn you in that first sense, in that judgment sense. They'll only have that refining purpose. But my friends, if you are not walking with the Savior, the fire will, will burn. It will burn you up. This is the gospel. This is gospel truth. So I'm going to ask you a question now. This is a little trivia question, all right, to lighten the mood. There you are. Maybe you're in your home right now and, and, your, and your community is gathered with your house church. Here's a trivia question. When I ask this question, the first person in your group who gets the answer right, give them a scone or something. Store-bought, not baked, COVID. But anyway, here's my question, okay? The, the narrator has made a really big deal about the fact that these guys were fully clothed. Everything they were wearing when they went in, none of it was burned up, all right? And when they came out, they didn't smell like fire. Their hair wasn't singed. Their clothing was not burned. But here's my question. What is the one thing they were wearing that got burned up? What's the answer? It's the ropes, it is the symbol of Babylonian bondage. Their clothing didn't burn. Their hair didn't burn. They didn't smell like smoke. The fire didn't touch anything about them. Everything that belonged to them as believers was preserved. The only thing that burned was the symbol of their bondage in Babylon. And friends... I want to preach right now. I want to preach because I believe that God has his people in a furnace and he's doing something. He can accomplish more when we're in the furnace than by preventing us from going there in the first place. And one of the things that God is doing, and I'm convinced of it, is that he is burning up critical ropes that have had his people in bondage. And, and maybe it's happening for you. I don't know where you're at. You out there, brother and sister, tuning in. What has had you in bondage? Some kind of an addiction. Some kind of, some kind of, of thing that's got you tied down. Some sin that's got you tangled up. All right? Last Sunday, we talked about idolatry. If you missed that sermon, you need to go back and listen. Because idolatry will bind you up and God will sometimes, as you go through a furnace, he will he'll show you those ropes that have you tied down so that he can burn them and you can leave them behind. And to that we say hallelujah. But it can happen for the community of Jesus too. And I see it happening. For, for in many ways, the church can be, it can be tied down in certain ways our spiritual apathy, all right? Our consumerism, our fickleness as, as believers. Last week in that circle of pastors, one of the pastors said that someone in his church emailed him and said, I just want you to know that I've started tuning in to another church because their, their sermons are five minutes shorter than yours, all right? Talk about being fickle. And this is the stuff that, we, we're, that we're tied up with as, as, as the church sometimes. Our, our comfort, our wealth, our, our apathy. And I believe God would allow us to go through a furnace so that he can purify us. River West, when we come out of this furnace, 
our church will be different and hopefully for the better, we'll be born again as a new community of, of Christ followers with bondage burned away. Amazing. I think this is why Peter said, 1 Peter 4, 12 to 14, he said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. That's Daniel 3. He says, don't be surprised. God's working in that. In fact, he said, he said, don't be surprised as though it's something strange, but rejoice. Peter said, you should actually rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Friends, sometimes God does more by walking with us through the fire than by keeping us from it in the first place. And so let me just finish the story here real briefly, and I'll share one final thought, and then we'll pray together. Here's what happened next. Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree... Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. That's intense. For there is no other God who's able to rescue in this way than the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. And it's just so interesting. Chapter 3 ends exactly the way 1 and 2 ended with God's people, his children, these, these Jewish prisoners of war. Every chapter ends with them being promoted into greater and greater influence. But the reader is reading this, and they're seeing what's happening in Nebuchadnezzar, and some of it sounds good. Some of it sounds good. He's, he's starting to say spiritual things. He's saying things like, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. No other God is able to rescue in this way. But, but then again, something's not quite right. I mean, not to mention the fact that he's threatening to tear people in from limbs still. But even, even just at a personal level, the reader is hearing this, and they're thinking, Nebuchadnezzar, you're close you're starting to see that the God of Israel is unique. But what, what's missing, Nebuchadnezzar, is your own personal surrender to this God. It's not enough. And the reader can hear this. It's not enough just to acknowledge or respect this God from a distance. That's not enough. And here, friends, this is where I'm speaking to you from the bottom of my heart. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you are. I know many of you are tuning in here. Perhaps this is one of your first experiences with church. And here's what I want to say to you. It, it boils down to your heart and your mind, not just acknowledging or respecting God from a distance, but personally turning your heart to him in faith and saying, I believe in you. You're real. Brothers and sisters, can I tell you something about Jesus? Jesus, he showed up in the story of Daniel. 
He met his people in that furnace. He walked with them through their worst trial. And it was beautiful and amazing. Did you know that when Jesus showed up again 500 years later in the incarnation, God become flesh? In Daniel, it was the pre-incarnate Christ. In the Gospel of John, when John describes Jesus as the Word made flesh, God dwelling among us, when Jesus showed up that second time, he did not walk through the furnace with his people. In fact, when Jesus showed up the second time, he did not let his people go with him into the furnace. He went there on his own. He went there in our place. He said, this time I have to burn in your place. I have to take on all of the flames of God's perfect, righteous judgment for sin. You cannot take this. I will go there in your place for your sin. And Jesus, he, he took the, the flames of God's fury and he entered a tomb. He died on a cross in our place. And in the same way that in Daniel, Jesus, and Jesus allowed the, the three to walk out of that burning furnace, Jesus walked out of a tomb in victory. And that truth has the power to save your life, but you can't just appreciate it from a distance. You have to claim it for yourself today in your own heart, with your own mind, which is what I like to pray about right now. Will you bow your heads with me? Our Heavenly Father, how we praise you and thank you and acknowledge you and honor you as the author and the inspiration not just of, of the recording of this incredible event, but the, but the actual event itself, which happened in human history. These three men were thrown into a real furnace. This is not a metaphor. This is not a spiritual analogy. This was history. It happened, and Christ, you were there walking with them. And Jesus, you are here with us, your church now, walking with us through our furnace. We believe. And we say thank you. And we, we want to stay as close to you, Jesus, as we possibly can. And right now I want to pray for my friends who have tuned in, who before this moment, perhaps they've, they've had a faith like Nebuchadnezzar's that was just kind of admiring you, God, from a distance, and yet I know that today is their day. And if that's you, would you just pray with me in this moment? Jesus, I believe. I believe everything I've just heard. I believe the truth of who you are, Lord. I believe the, the truth and the reality of sin, that sin is serious, that that there is a fire coming one day and it's serious and you loved us enough, Jesus, to be honest about it, to tell us about it, to warn us. And so, Jesus, I believe that you, because you love me, you went into the furnace in my place. You hung on that cross in my place. You went into a tomb in my place and you rose again in victory so that I could be free. And I put my hope and my faith in you this morning, Jesus. And we all do that, Lord God. Every single one of us tuning in, we believe, we worship, 
We honor you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, River West. Let's worship together. If you'd like to give today, you can find instructions for giving and happenings or online. We're going to worship, and then those of you in house church settings, you can continue to worship and take communion, but let's worship together. God bless you, River West.